my daughter uh, prayed for me this morning um, for my preach. She said, Mom, I pray, Lord, that mum's talk would go really well and at the end people would clap for a really, really, really long time. <laughs> so I decided not to pray that for me this evening, uh, but rather to pray for you that we would really encounter God's word tonight. My name's Kay. I'm part of the staff team here at Central and I'm uh, really delighted um, to not just be ushering you in at the back as I often get to do, but to actually bring God's word to you. I've been so helped over the summer as we've been grappling with the book of Acts, learning about these early disciples in that first church who were listening and learning from everything that Jesus was teaching them, had taught them, and his Holy Spirit was now making real in their lives, growing them and sending them to all kinds of places. I firmly believe that over the summer we're going to learn a phenomenal amount from their faithfulness from the way that they've stood um, with courage and conviction in the face of challenge and opposition, and in the way they've had faith and hope in all kinds of different places, that early church, those early believers. And tonight, we're going to dig a little bit into seeing how those first disciples grappled with disagreement and with conflict. Thank you, Stuart. So we're rewinding to take a closer look at the passage that Scott um, dipped into last week in Acts chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn uh, turn to it with me? And we're not going to read all of it. I'm going to give you a bit of a sense of what is going on there. Um, Let me tell you, Jesus' followers have been speaking about this Jesus that they love. He's um, had a remarkable life that they've heard about, but more than that, he has died He has risen again. He is reigning. They've heard about him. They've received his Holy Spirit. And they know that he's empowering them to live for them each day. So they've been speaking about him wherever they've gone. And all kinds of people have been starting to trust in Jesus. There's a whole bunch of people who have a Jewish background, who, because of their heritage, have been watching and waiting for a Messiah to come. One that's been promised that would be God's person. And they've heard about Jesus and they've encountered Jesus. And they've trusted Jesus, believing him to be the Messiah. And they've brought to their faith all their heritage, all their experience of being Jews and of learning the law and hearing about God and this Messiah. They've brought that to their faith today. But there's also a whole bunch of people that are coming to faith who don't have that background, non-Jews, they're called Gentiles. They've also been hearing about Jesus and they have also been trusting in him. And they don't have anything in their background to rely upon. They don't have any kind of religious heritage that they bring to the table. Their faith comes at face value with what they're hearing about Jesus and they're putting their trust in that. And these two kinds of people are coming together to build the church. And it's hard. It's tricky. It doesn't all go according to plan. And it's not helped because some influential people have come into this church and have been telling those that don't have the religious background that they have to start to do some of the things that the folk that have the Jewish background think are important. And even more than that, And even worse than that is that they're saying to them that if they don't do some of those things, well, they're not really proper Christians. They can't be saved 
unless they do some of those things. And you can read about how it all gets thrashed out in Acts chapter 15. The council that meets to decide what to do says to these um, Gentile Christians, those, don't, those that don't have that religious background, that they do not have to follow the law. They don't have to start keeping rules and regulations that they have had no relationship with in order to know Jesus. They make a few suggestions. They say there are four things that if those Christians don't do, then it'll make it much, much easier for those who do still have some of the practices that belong to their Jewish background. That'll help unity, but it's not vital for faith. Let's, let me uh, tell you what Peter said in Acts 15. If you come with me to verse 7, Peter stood up because he could see that they shouldn't be being asked to do something that they weren't able to do. He says, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. It's crystal clear, isn't it? Nothing other than the grace of Jesus saves us. Only the love and the kindness and the invitation of God is enough to save us. Even the strictest of Jews, those that have tried to keep every little bit of the law that they've been able to get their hands on, even they haven't been able to do enough to save themselves. They've needed Jesus to come to fulfill it and to save them. Why would they be asking anybody else to try to keep those things. Faith in Jesus is enough. Do you know, if we are 100% reliant upon the grace of God as we are, what right would we have to judge the validity of anybody else's faith? We might not see eye to eye on all kinds of things with other believers. Might be things that we read in scripture, might be things that we see in one another's lives that we disagree on, but we all stand on that baseline of grace. Nothing else saving us, the kindness of God, enabling us to know him and accepting us because of Jesus and Jesus alone. And so it's vital that we understand this today like these believers needed to understand that then. Because the things that we could disagree on are many. But it's really important that we understand that the things that we might be different in, race, class, gender, sexuality, whatever it might be, these things do not stop us coming to know the love of God because we are invited by God's kindness and his kindness alone. And so in that, there are going to be all kinds of things for us to have to work out 
to figure out how to love one another well, to respect one another well, and to cope with the things that we might not agree on. But we all stand on that baseline of grace. It wasn't easy for this early church. I'm going to read another bit of Acts 15 to you because the differences are many. And some of the leaders that were vital in sorting out that disagreement and that confusion that there was in the early church, they themselves end up having a quarrel. So come with me to later on in Acts 15 at verse 36. It says this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Now that account doesn't especially tell us how they handled the conflict. It just really tells us that it happens, that it's real. We don't see in the passage that the gospel is especially harmed by Paul and Barnabas going in different directions. In fact, it's multiplied. More people get to hear the gospel and actually more people get included in the teams that go out because Paul and Barnabas go in different directions. But neither do I see in the passage here where it says that that disagreement was a good thing, was the best thing was God's way for making that happen. Disagreement happens. Max Lacado, the writer, says this. He says, conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional. Us learning to disagree well is crucial for us. Now, I don't know about you, but I would reckon for most of us, how we feel about conflict has got an awful lot to do with our family background, whether it was done well or not in the home, whether we were loud or whether we brushed everything under the carpet till the carpet came up to here, that will have determined how we do discussion and debate now. My experience says that most of us most of us, are pretty good in the everyday at living the Christian life in such a way that we could fool most of the people most of the time that we've got it all together. But for most of us, if you just dig a little bit into our families, you'll start to see that there's messiness and brokenness and that if we have these relationships in our lives, we probably don't have it all together all the time. Do you agree? Is that the case for most of us? Good. So we're being honest. So let's stick with the honesty. Let me know how many of you here grew up in a loud and a shouty house? Getting it better out than in. Yeah, give us a wave. That was me. Definitely quite a lot of you. And how many of you were that elephant in the corner? We don't really talk about anything until we can't avoid it any longer. Quite a lot of you. And there's a fair number here who grew up in the perfect house who got it right all the time. They'll be available for ministry later. Thank you. I'll be glad of your input. Do you know, family is supposed to be a safe refuge for us, but very often it is the place of the greatest heartache. 
where we find it the most difficult to know how to do conflict. Do you know if you have a job and your boss is really cranky or difficult or sidelines you, you have the possibility of applying for a new job. Stop feeling sorry for Hannah on the front row just because she has me as her boss. <laughs> you can get a new job. You can go somewhere else. If you have a terrible flatmate who never does the dishes, who never shares the weight, who never does the things that you ask them to do, who shouts all night, who plays their music really loudly and really badly, you can get a new flat. You can even divorce an abusive spouse. But your family... Your blood family are much harder to move on and to move away from. And that's probably the place where we've experienced some of the bruising and some of the hard stuff of conflict over the years. Now, I'm quite wary of statistics. I understand that 71% of statistics are made up on the spot. Um, But I would reckon that about 10% of the arguments that we end up in are to do with the actual thing that we're disagreeing about. And 90% of the arguments that we end up having are to do with our tone, our volume, our body language, the level of aggression that we put in to communicating how we feel about something. Disagreeing does not need to mean fighting. How do we learn to do it better? I do believe it is possible to disagree without a fight, but I've had to learn that the hard way. So I grew up in a pretty shouty house. Could still be quite a shouty house now when I spend time with my extended family. And sometimes that meant that I would retreat and hide out of embarrassment or out of fear because I didn't know what was happening. And sometimes I would join in because I would get so riled by what I was being involved in that all I could do was fight back. It it rose up in me and I became an angry person in those moments. And as a young adult, I actually, I didn't just kick the door like that. I lifted my foot and, and put it full on into the door in my parents' house because I was so angry and didn't know what to do with my frustration. And that was the person who then got married (laughs) to somebody from a family who were really good at brushing the stuff under the carpet. I found it really hard how to do disagreement. And I remember one night being so frustrated trying to have an argument with somebody that wouldn't have an argument back with me that I stormed out the house and was found half an hour later on a park bench where I was still fizzing, waiting for that argument to be able to continue, hoping that somewhere in the last half hour he'd learned how to do this. I've I've grown since these days, you'll be glad to hear. But I, I still get it wrong. I have the friend who used to be my friend for over 20 years. And I I don't know why she stopped being my friend. And I've asked her if I've done anything wrong, and she says, no, I haven't. But our friendship has been reduced to two words, Christmas card, and it hurts. And I don't know why, because we never had the conflict. And I'm human, and you're human. And I might have well done something that has hurt or upset you, and you will have done something that has hurt or upset somebody else. We get it wrong all the time. But if we pretend that it doesn't happen, nothing gets better. We don't help anything. The relationship deteriorates, our confidence deteriorates, our peace goes. 
But the issues that caused the problem in the first place, they don't go anywhere. They stay right where they were. And so we need to learn how to disagree. We need to learn how to talk and how to listen. Talk to explain, not to win. Listen to understand, not just so you can get ready with your reply. Letting go of our need to be right so that we can actually grow in relationship with someone else. I don't know about you, but I am at my very worst when I'm right. Because when I'm right, I get all self-righteous inside and I am convinced that the other person is wrong and there is not going to be any agreement is going to come. How do we lay that down that we're actually ready for things to grow? Well, let me have a few thoughts about how we posture ourselves well in the face of conflict. And if you have a read of Acts 15 later, you'll see lots of this stuff coming out in the way that this disagreement was handled. We need to ask God to do something in our heart, that he would change the way that we see people and we think about people and we love Peter's people. So Peter says that God has changed his heart in the way that he sees people. Peter wasn't remotely interested in going to people that didn't have a Jewish background until God spoke to him in a dream. And after that dream, Peter's heart was changed. He was able to see that the Lord loved everybody and that there was nothing to fear and that he could go and love people with the love of the Father. We need to ask the Lord to let us see people the way that he sees them. Because there'll be all kinds of reasons, all kinds of causes in people's backgrounds that make them think and speak and act the way that they do. The way that they speak, act and behave towards you isn't all about you. It'll be about them and how they've been treated and what's happened in their lives. And they'll bring that to their relationship with you. Ask the Lord to give us his heart for people, that we would have something of his perspective to see into the lives and the hearts of people that we find it hard to love and to agree with. Ask God to let us see them his way. We're going to need humility. Do you know, I'm absolutely sure, I know it, you have a valid opinion. You have a valid perspective. But you will not be 100% right all of the time. We need to learn to hold our stuff lightly. Peter and Paul and James in Acts 15 all brought a speech, all brought their perspective on what had been happening. They weren't all in disagreement with one another, but that's all they did was to bring their perspective to the discussion and they left it there. They didn't try to argue. They didn't try to prove that they were right. They simply brought their case. How do we learn to speak out what we believe to be true and then leave it, not needing to fight or to defend ourselves, but to come with humility that we can let God work out what needs to happen and we can trust others to be part of that decision. If you're like me, you'll need healing, lots of healing. There was nothing in this account of the Council of Jerusalem that said that the leaders were trying to do anything other than bring healing and unity and clarity 
to the church. They did not want to cause any more division or any more hurt. They didn't want anybody sitting on the outside when they should have been right at the heart of what was happening in the church. They wanted to see healing come. We need healing if we are going to bring the best of ourselves to every kind of relationship that we have. You will have buttons. I have buttons that people are really able to push without even knowing that they're doing it. Sometimes they can do it without me even really knowing that they're doing it. But we want to learn what our buttons are, what our trigger points are, that the Lord might grow them and heal them so that when we're in discussion with someone, it's just the two of us or those of us that are in the discussion that are there. We're not bringing all of our stuff from all of our lives and all of our past relationships into that conversation. But God is healing us. It's become one of my most frequent prayers over the last few years. Lord, more healing. More healing in my life. I don't want to go through this life bringing my stuff and tripping me up, and causing me not to be able to live fully in relationship now and for the future. Lord, more healing. We need that, don't we, if we're going to be the best that God calls us to be. We want to learn to repent, to have that accurate sense of where we've got it wrong. And we can only do that when healing comes, have that right sense of our own sin and our own mistakes. And we want to be able to learn to forgive because we can trust people to God because we know that he's got us. He's got us and we can forgive others. We also want to be able to take out the heat from any conversation or argument or disagreement that we have. It says in verse 6 of chapter 15 that the apostles and elders met to consider, to consider, not to fight, but to listen and to consider what the right thing was to do. I don't know about you, but I need to learn to listen more, to really listen to what people are saying, to how they're saying it, to what they're not saying that I would understand, that I would speak less what needs to be said, not all the things that I could say. And I often find myself going into a difficult conversation, asking the Lord to help me sift What is the one or the two at most things that you want me to say? And what must I not say? Because if I say it, it'll be so unhelpful to the conversation. Really learning how to speak. Learning to pray in the midst of conversations. Praying all the time that the Lord would reveal to me, even in the midst of a difficult conversation, what to say and what not to to say. Stopping me if I'm about to rant helping me to speak if I've gone silent in the face of what's coming my way, adjusting my tone, having that perspective that I can take a breath and speak again differently if the way that I've been speaking has been difficult for the person that's been listening to me, taking the heat out of it. And then I don't know about you, but I need help. I need people that will help me to do this really well. Now, I don't need hundreds of people. 
And I don't need a lot of people who will just say, I'm sure, Kay, you were right. I'm sure you didn't say that, or you didn't mean that, or you didn't do that. I need people who know my quirks, my sin, my stuff. Who, when I bring, come to them and say, I have fallen out with that person again, they will hold me accountable, they will love me well, and they will call me on. So it doesn't need to be multiple people, but it does need to be a safe place where you can repent and be prayed for and go again into these relationships that God has for us to engage in. Do you know, we cannot be responsible for how somebody responds to us. We can give our very best in all of these ways to the relationships that we have with people. Do our best in how we speak and in what we say. But people might still not like us. There are some people who, if if they were in an empty room, it would be the room's fault, wouldn't it? And no matter what we say or what we do, it's not going to help that. Some of us are wired, I'd love to be that way, naturally, to think that it's never their fault. It's always somebody else's responsibility. But there's some of us, and I'm one of them, who hates being out of relationship with anyone. You want people to like you. You hate the thought that you've said something that would have caused someone to be upset or hurt, and you don't want to be out of relationship with them. But actually, we cannot be responsible for how somebody else responds to us. We can only do what the Lord asks us to do in the way that we have chosen to relate to them. We cannot make them respond to us in any other way. We have to give them to God. Over the last 18 months or so, I've been um, trying to grow a culture of feedback and being able to have the honest and the hard conversations amongst the staff team here at Central. It's been really important. We want to grow a healthy culture and healthy people, then it's really important that we're able to say the hard thing to one another and not just brush it under the carpet. Because, you know, when we're honest with people in the hard things, they respect us because they know those things are being said to us, to our face, and not about us behind our back. You with me? You'd rather have something said to your face, no matter how hard it is, than have it said about you behind your back. And so learning to do that, we would have the right conversations with the right people in the right way. We need help to learn to do that. I love it when people are caring enough for me to call out the very best in me. I may not like it in the very moment or in the moments afterwards, but the relationship that I have with that person grows beyond belief because they have chosen to do that for me. One of my best friends, um, Sophie, when I phoned her um, a long, long time ago to tell her that I'd got engaged, she was about the fourth person that I phoned and everybody else had been delighted to hear the news. And when I told Sophie, her response was, oh, oh, maybe even three O's, I can't remember, but it certainly wasn't the delight that everybody else had been communicating. She was nervous that we hadn't been going out for long enough to really know one another well, to really know what we were doing. And so she couldn't help but say that to me. I reminded her of it last year and she was mortified that I still remember that on our 20th wedding anniversary. But, but that's one of my closest friends that I can trust to give me the truth, to be there for me, 
to love me as well as to call me out. Our relationship is the better for that turning point because she was able to be completely honest with me. Who do you have that will do that for you? Do you know, I have grown enormously in this area. I still make mistakes, but I truly believe that God can heal us and grow us in confidence and in character and in the way that we love people, that we would be different people in the relationships that we have. Some of my wisdom and my experience, I hope will help you tonight. But there will just be some people that that is not enough. There are some people that you have fallen out of relationship with or are trying to do relationship with now that actually the right thing and the best thing for you to do is to give a bit of distance because actually you cannot make it be any better no matter what wisdom you bring to the picture there. But we need discernment for that, don't we? We need the Lord to help us to know. We need the wisdom and insight of others that they also would see and help us to know when to take a step towards somebody to be able to do this better and when to take a step back that gives the space for the healing to come and for the wholeness and health to come for each person. And so we need the Lord's help for that if we're going to know the difference there. We have a a life care ministry in the church here at Central, and they'd love to provide somebody for any one of us who just feels that that distance that you're trying to walk with somebody else and the way that you're trying to be in that relationship is harder than a 25-minute sermon can even begin to help you to do. And the website and the life care page is a great place for you to go if today you're not sure who could help you to do that differently. There's somebody who could walk with you. But I really do believe that that prayer, Lord, more healing, can be answered for us tonight. So I'd love to pray for us in this whole area of conflict. And unless I'm very much mistaken, and I hope you won't be offended, I am pretty confident that I need to pray for every single one of us tonight in this area of conflict and relationships. So if you're up for it, will you stand with me so that I can pray that God would do what he wants to do with us. And I wonder, just as I pray, I'm going to pray for a a few different things, but I'd love it if you're able to, to pray with your hands open. Because I think there's going to be some things that the Lord's going to take from us, stuff that we've carried, people that we feel responsible for, and he's going to want to lift them out of our hands. They're not ours to carry. And we need the Lord to come and to bring and to give us some stuff that we could walk and minister and love really well in these things. Let me pray for us with that posture of being ready to give and ready to receive. So Lord, we we come just now broken, vulnerable people, loved phenomenally by you. Thank you, Lord, that we stand tonight in grace because of your kindness and in nothing that we could have earned, not stopped by anything that we have done, able to come into your presence. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just give to you anything that has got in the way of us being able to do that. Thank you, Lord, that you take our stuff, our sin, our mess, our efforts, 
and instead you give us your grace. Lord, we give to you our broken relationships, the people in our past who we no longer walk with or who have hurt us. And we ask today, Lord, for your healing. Lord, we ask for your kindness to replace words spoken. We ask for your friendship to replace things lost. We give those people to you today that have hurt us and we say that they don't owe us anything anymore. We give them to you. We repent of things that we did and said, the way that we acted, that we know didn't help. And we ask that we could give them freely to you, that we would walk free and they would walk free. And Lord, we give the people to you that we walk with now in broken or breaking relationships. We ask, Lord, for your wisdom to know how to love, how to speak, how to relate. And Lord, we ask for your transformation. Lord, we ask as we give ourselves differently to those relationships, that actually it would be you, Holy Spirit, that comes and brings the transformation in those situations and with those people. Not our good efforts, but you, Holy Spirit, bringing that change. Lord, we give to you everyone that we find difficult to love and to live with. We ask that they would know you and they would know how much you love them. And we ask that you would help us to live as best we can with them in the ways that you show us. And Lord, we pray for ourselves, for your revelation to see the things that we don't see, the stuff, the buttons, the triggers, the things that we still carry. Lord, we give it to you. We ask for your healing, that we would go from this place tonight more ready to love, more ready to forgive, We're ready to be the Jesus representatives in the relationships that you ask us to live in. Lord, give us your understanding, your compassion, your peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.